Welcome back to the Longleaf Podcast. Today is Wednesday, April the 10th, and while the General Assembly is still plugging away at committee hearings and new bill filings, the big news down here in Charlotte is that Wake Forest University wants to build a second medical school campus here in Charlotte and give the city its first full four-year medical school in more than a century. The political angle on this will be interesting. State Treasurer Dale Falwell is concerned about the impact this might have on the cost of care, so we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. On today's show, I've got a few headlines I want to run through. Senate will come to order. Sergeant Arnold will close the doors. Members and will go to their seats. All right, here we go. First, an interesting new poll was released today by Meredith. Some of it, of course, was unsurprising. About half of North Carolina believes the country and the state are going in the wrong direction, with the other half believing it's going in the right direction. As a whole, Republicans are a little bit more likely to say things are going in the right direction than are Democrats. Also, Roy Cooper still has sky-high approval ratings, over 70% among Democrats, but less than 25% among Republicans. Um, This is kind of interesting because Roy Cooper hasn't even really done anything yet after two-plus years in office, but that's soon going to change, and it's going to be super interesting to see how Roy Cooper's approval ratings change when his vetoes actually mean something. When, you know, now that the Republicans don't have a supermajority in the General Assembly, they can't just override anything Roy Cooper vetoes, so he's going to have to be a lot more uh, judicious with his vetoes. Uh, But we'll see how that affects his approval ratings towards the end of the year. But no, that wasn't the interesting part of the Meredith poll. The interesting part, uh, and it is actually something I wrote about on Longleaf Politics today, and that's a strong majority of North Carolinians believe that the two-party system does not work adequately in North Carolina. Less than 25% of the state and solid majorities of both Democrats and Republicans are dissatisfied with the two-party system and want a strong third party. Now, I believe this is a bit overblown. We already have third parties. We have the Libertarians, we have the Green Party, and the Constitution Party now. And the reason they aren't viable options is because not enough people believe in their platform or even know about them. And I didn't get into this in the story on Longleaf, but a strong third party would be really difficult to achieve. All parties are coalitions between people who have strong opinions on certain issues, certain demographic groups, and I don't just mean race, I mean age, income, education, where you live geographically. So you've, you've got to actually have a pretty big piece of that coalition break off to form a third party that's viable. Uh, the Green Party and Constitution Party that already exist are examples of how hard this is. Um, and, and of course, I support those two parties' right to organize, and I love when people are engaged in the political process, but I actually think parties like them, the Green or the Constitution Party, could actually be more damaging to their own interests. They might be better served working within the two-party system to make changes to their platforms and priorities rather than try to siphon off enough votes to make the two major political parties listen to them. Um, That said, I I do see some sort of path toward a viable third party, but it's not going to be along the lines that we're thinking. The true dividing line that could create a third party is the populist movement. Um, populist, and that's of course as opposed to establishment supporters and establishment candidates. You know, populists on the right and the left are a lot more similar than you'd think. There were a lot of people who supported Bernie and and later voted for Donald Trump. Um, the ideologies, you know, are, aren't as well defined. It's more defined on a sense of dissatisfaction with the current system and being against entrenched interests and feeling like the system is is rigged against you. And I think both. Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump tapped into that in 2016. Um, though, however, I just don't know if under the current environment we'd see the far right and the far left populist movements come together under one banner. 
Uh, instead, we're, we're really just seeing populist movements get momentum in both parties. You're seeing that with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on the left on the national scene. Uh, and, and of course, the still we still have the remnants of the Tea Party movement in the Republican Party. Okay, on to the next topic. I want to talk about secret Medicaid expansion. It's really not that secret, though. So a group of Republican legislators in the North Carolina House put out a bill yesterday called NC Healthcare for Working Families. And the sponsors of it are pitching it as a, quote, alternative to Medicaid expansion. Of course, Medicaid expansion is something that all states are having to decide on as part of the Affordable Care Act under President Obama. Basically, it says that you can expand your pool of people eligible for Medicaid beyond the blinds, the disabled, the elderly, children, um, to include able-bodied working adults with no children. Um, of course, low-income people with no children. So the idea is to get more people uh, covered by health insurance. Um, of course, Medicaid expansion is kind of um, is not very popular among the Republican Party in North Carolina. I mean, I, I continue to get emails from Senator Phil Berger, who's who's constantly railing against Medicaid expansion, um, and that's why you see that these legislators are are trying to build this as an alternative, uh, but it's really not. It has the same eligibility pool. It has the same funding mechanism. It has the same benefits um, and really the same risks to North Carolina's state budget. So if you want to learn more about that, go over to longleafpolitics.com. I've got a full breakdown on what are the similarities between Medicaid expansion and this new Healthcare for Working Families bill. And also I discuss a little bit on how this bill could have a path to passage uh, but it's a very narrow one, and I don't think it's going to happen. All right, next up is a bill to fix voter ID requirements. So Representative David Lewis, who authored North Carolina's voter ID law, has come up with a new bill that's supposed to tweak some of the requirements and, and fix it, essentially. So the biggest change here is related to university IDs. The initial law said to comply as an ID for voting, the university or a contractor needs to actually take the photos to ensure that the person whose photo is on the ID, ID is actually the person um, covered by the ID. So the new bill changes that and says the university just needs to collect the photos. Uh, apparently some universities are allowing students to take photos of themselves for their student IDs, just take a selfie on their phone and upload it. Um, whatever. I'm not sure how I feel about this. The universities, of course, have really loud voices and um, very outspoken on this. And the optics of being said to be disenfranchising college students are not good. So I understand the desire to placate them with a bill like this. And, of course, only a very small percentage of voters are college students voting in North Carolina elections who don't have any other form of identification. Um, so the people who would actually be disenfranchised by not having a university ID that's approved to vote is exceedingly small. And that's probably another reason to just go ahead and make the change. Uh, but, but, however, there is something to be said for the integrity of the ID used for voting purposes. I mean, we're, we're talking about the security of our elections. We're talk, you know, we've talked so much about how important it is to have faith in, in combating voter fraud. And this bill, I think, comes pretty close to violating that. Um, it's not really that hard for universities to actually comply with the law. There's plenty of universities of all types in North Carolina that are complying under the current law and have student IDs that where there's actually a regimented process for taking the photos and making sure that it matches up with, with who they say they are. Um, and, and 
the universities have had plenty of time to actually change their processes and do it. Um, it's probably not that hard to get somebody to come over and take photos for your student IDs. I mean, I remember doing that when I was a student. Uh, it doesn't seem um, that onerous. So I probably net out to thinking the General Assembly should just tell universities to follow the rules or, or be quiet about their complaints. Um, but we'll see what happens with Representative Lewis's bill. All right, finally, I wanted to talk about an interesting column from John Hood in the Carolina Journal titled, Rail Transit Doesn't Fit North Carolina. Um, his premise is that North Carolina is car dependent and even our state's urban areas are really more suburban than anything. And because of that, rail transit just isn't worth the investment. Now, of course, he's absolutely right about his premise. Even just a mile from the center of Charlotte, you already start getting into very suburban style development, and the same is true in Raleigh. But however, there's very much a chicken or the egg dilemma. Which do you need first, the dense population or the rail transit? So there are flaws to both approaches, really. If you wait till there's already a dense population, building rail there is actually going to be really expensive, and it's going to be hard to find a route. We're running into this here in Charlotte with the South Park area around the mall where people would love to have rail transit there because it's almost impossible to get anywhere in a car. But at this point, everything's so developed and the real estate values are so expensive that there's no way that the city is going to be able to buy enough land to make this happen. I mean, basically, the door on mass transit through rail is shut in South Park. Um, then, of course, on the other side, if you build the rail first, you run the real risk of wasting money. I mean, rail transit is not cheap, and it gets more expensive every day. Uh, Charlotte's actually got really lucky with its original blue line, which runs from uptown Charlotte uh, to the south and the west. Um, the city and federal government spent about $400 million to build this line, and it's really paid off, and it's been rewarded with $3.5 billion and counting of new development. And all along this line, you're seeing real urban neighborhoods with real density uh, growing up along this line. And, you know, and you could, it's definitely true that the light rail line created this development. I mean, this, this was not going to happen without the light rail. And I think the same could be true in the Raleigh-Durham area. And I think that rail transit could help transform some of these areas from suburban sprawling development to more urban development. Um, so I think it might be wise for the state to rethink its policy on helping out with the cost of these things. I mean, of course, a majority of transportation dollars should still go to highways. I mean, that's still the number one way that people get around in the state of North Carolina. However, there are plenty of crummy, useless highway projects getting funded. So I think there's honestly room for a little bit of both. And while we're at it, can we please get the General Assembly to actually spend the money and fix the I-77 problem north of Charlotte? I was actually just driving through there last week on the way up to Mount Airy. And it's ridiculous. It's the most congested highway in the state. And state government so far has just thrown up its hands and said there's no money to actually expands general purpose lanes there. Anyway, that's all we got for today. As always, I want this to be a conversation. Drop me a line, andrew at longleafpolitics.com. If you have anything you want me to cover, or if you're interested in being a guest on the show, let me know, and we'll see you again soon. So many in favor of that motion will say aye. Those opposed, no. The ayes have it. The Senate stands adjourned.